Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Sarah, aka Bellringer Cat on Tumblr, um, who you may come across because she's a fairly popular professional illustrator and she does a bunch of Bloodborne drawings. Um, and she also does a bunch of lore dives. And you can go to check out all of her lore theories, the ones that she's translated from Italian, on her blog, which you can find in the show notes. Um, specifically, she emailed me to be on the show after episode 69 came out uh, because she had a different take on uh, the German Lady Maria ship that was we kind of dogged out on that episode of the podcast. Um, so we talk a lot about that towards the end of the episode and we also get into a lot of the themes of sexuality and just, you know, Bloodborne. It's pretty much just Bloodborne, so you guys know what to expect. Um, also, just a quick heads up, her audio is a little bit rough. Uh, it's not unlistenable, uh, but you may want to turn your volume down just a little bit and then kind of gauge it up from there because it's a little uh, high-pitched. As always, thank you for listening. It's very, very much appreciated, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's let's start at the very beginning, and uh, let's talk about the first Souls game that you ever played. How did you get started with the series? So the first Soulsborne game that I ever played was Bloodborne, and the reason I mean the, the reason why I got into the series was the lore, <laughs> because there was a friend of mine that he already owned a PS4, and he was like you should play this game. I mean, I, he was like, I don't deserve to play this game. You, that you are a big <laughs> fan Lovecraft, that you are into all these kind of stuff, you deserve this game more than I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those, those were his words. And I was, you know, so intrigued by this premise <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> I mean, as a Lovecraft fan and someone that has been into this sort of, you know, cosmic horror, weird tales, genre for so many years because I began to read Lovecraft when I was like 14, 13 years old, so it's more than 11, 12 years by now. Okay. Um, it's very hard to find uh, high quality productions like, you know, a very good movie or a very good TV series or a video game that are based on Lovecraft's scale because there is a lot of, you know, B movies like horror movies like Reanimator and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, games and movies with a high budget, like, um, I mean, when, uh, when they announced that Guillermo del Toro was going to, to produce a, the adaptation of At the Mountain of Madness, everybody was excited, but then, you know, the, the studio turned, turned down the project and everybody was sad again. I mean, and when, I, <laughs> when, I, when I say everybody, I mean the Lovecraftians, the Lovecraft community. So... Bloodborne completely, I mean, it was co- I was completely igno- ignorant of the existence of this game because I knew about Dark Souls, never heard of Demon Souls before, but I, I knew of Dark Souls and to me, uh, it was, you know, just the classic uh, fantasy RPG. I knew it was difficult, but I am not into difficult games. I am one of those players that like play the game for the story. Uh, easy mode, normal, when, uh, you know, I, I, I want a little bit of challenge. Mm-hmm, <laughs> just a, mm-hmm. And I just 
you know, rush through the combat and everything just because, just because they want to see the cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, you know, um, Bioware games, at least I used, I used to like Bioware games before sure. the, yeah, before Andromeda. <laughs> but let, let's not talk about Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Don't Give Up. Um... I've already, I don't even know the name of the dude in Mass Effect Andromeda, or the I don't know the name of the main character, so can't even make I that joke. <laughs> I think, but it, by the way, you know, um, I love that kind of games. And so when someone told me that you know Dark Souls was very stereotypical, which I don't think is uh, you know very correct, but when I asked around, I mean, people say, yeah, it's a fantasy, you know, and there is a, the, the 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 focal point is the difficulty. You are not going to like it. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, but when this other friend, the one that I told at the beginning, um, I, I was talking about at the beginning, he told me this thing about Bloodborne, I was like, okay, I should probably look into this game. And, and uh, I started to watch a few videos on YouTube, like the trailer and stuff. And at, at, at the point, I kind of was like, I need to, to buy a PS4 to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> it was my PS3, like, I, I hadn't bought a game in years. <laughs> because I'm not, uh, you know, that much of a gamer. I like some series, and I like those series very much, but it's not like I play everything that comes out. I, I for instance, even if I like RPGs, I, don't, I haven't played The Witcher 3 yet, which is a cardinal sin, but I, I haven't. And, well, it's probably and, because that you you know have a life because The Witcher Three basically everyone that I know that has played it has had their life consumed by it. So <laughs> it's, it's a dangerous game to play. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had um, a similar experience some weeks ago with Persona Five. <laughs> like uh, for a few weeks, I was completely immersed in the game, and like my real friends, I wasn't I wasn't out talking to them anymore <laughs> because I had you know. My, my group of phantom thieves to take to take care about uh, to take care of um, by the way let's let's not you know get sidetracked I want to stay on Bloodborne and okay. so I bought my PS4 for Christmas and it was the only game that I had for the system I, I just bought Bloodborne actually I bought Bloodborne even before I had the PS4 <laughs> 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 I, 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 <laughs> I had the game on my shelf for like two weeks before I finally I finally you know Put some money <laughs> on the side, you know. I save, save, save some money for the PS4, <laughs> and and my my first experience was, I mean, my first hours with the game were a tragedy <laughs> because, of course, I mean, I knew that the game was difficult. I knew that there was no tutorial, but still, I mean, the the difficulty at the beginning, I think, it's really crushing, <laughs> especially because I had absolutely no idea where to go, what to do, and. <laughs> But I heard from other people like uh, their first experience with main, perhaps Dark Souls or Demon Souls was the same. So I mean, I think that we are all on the same boat when we start with this series. Mm-hmm. Where you just have no idea how to play because you're used to playing other games, and like these games yeah. take so much more of a considered approach that it's it can be kind of jarring at first. Yeah, and even if I played, you know, uh, action games, even you know, kind of challenging ones in the past, like some Devil May Cry and stuff like that, they have a tutorial, so they actually explain to you where to go. And uh, of course, there is not, uh, you know, the you die, you have to go back and get your echoes slash souls back. That that mecha- that that mechanic does not exist. 
in many games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that one at first is kind of, you know, it's kind of scary because you always are afraid of losing the, that bit of progress that you have made. And uh, even, you know, uh, searching on Reddit and reading the posts that other people have made, uh, we all get stuck at the, you know, at the small square with all the huntsmen and the fireplace in the, in the middle, <laughs> the fire, the bonfire in the middle. Every, everybody dies there <laughs> multiple, multiple times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had three Souls games under my belt at that point and still died there a lot because I just wasn't used to Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, now when some of my friends, they uh, like ask for advice, I'm just run past it. <laughs> because that's what I did. And that's what I do to this day when I when I start a new place where I just run. <laughs> I that advanced knowledge to level up and then... <laughs> um, so yeah, but Still, even if the game was very difficult and so, you know, not exactly accessible uh, for, you know, a newcomer. And I, I thought that the atmosphere was gorgeous. And above, above that, I, I really liked the, the quest system in, in a way because I was a bit disappointed at first by the lack of cutscenes. I have to admit that because, I mean, I, I'm spoiled by Bioware games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Aside from that, I like the fact that you had to, you know, to find uh, the meaning be- behind many things that were said. That you had to piece uh, all the information together. For instance, you know, I mean, the first real quest that we, we get in Bloodborne is that of the young Gascoigne da- daughter. Um, you have, you know, to connect the dots because she asks you to search for the mother, but then you meet the father, and then you meet the mother, and you find the brooch, and you and you go, oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so there is, you know, this um, connecting the dots process in your head that works, and I thought it was really, really interesting, and reminded me of another game that I really, really like, and nobody, uh, sorry, not not nobody, but no, not so many people knew about, uh, which is the Secret World. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with it. I'm not. What is The Secret World? The Secret World is an MMO uh, developed by Funcom, and I think it was published by Bioware. Sorry, by EA. EA, EA. Mm-hmm. Um, now Bioware and EA are just one entity, so whatever. <laughs> so, by, by the way, uh, The Secret World is an MMO set in the modern world, so it's, it's not fantasy, it's not, you know, uh, sci-fi. It's today. And it, it draws a lot from, it takes a lot of inspirations from uh, metropolitan legends, like from, um, you know, all the conspiracy theories, like the Illuminati, the, all, all that kind of stuff. It's really, really weird and, uh, and also takes a lot of inspiration from Lovecraft, especially the first area of the game. And the, what, what, What's really interesting and what reminded me of Bloodborne is that in that game, lots of people, even if it's an MMO, many people play alone, <laughs> because at least in the first areas, um, because the story is really, really well written. And uh, the quests are really interesting and they actually ask you to, you know, use your brain. It's not just go there and kill some mobs. You actually have, you know, to to figure out like there are puzzles there are uh, messages that are written in braille and you have actually you know to take pen and paper in front of your computer and actually translate <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's, it's actually really interesting and it's very fun if you play with someone else because like you have you are solving this mystery together and you are you know with a with a skype chat or with discord or whatever mm-hmm. this the sort of process you know the connecting the dots really reminded me of the secret world is a, is a nice now now they are kind of revamping it but i mean i haven't played in years but the, the feeling was quite kind of the same and um, i'm just kind of curious like uh you mentioned like finding the the Gascoigne's daughter and finding the brooch and all of that. Did you come across that on your first playthrough? Like, did you figure all that stuff out on your first playthrough? I did, but I missed other stuff. Okay. Like, I absolutely not seen. I, I I hadn't seen Gilbert, which is like right in front of the <laughs> of <laughs> the lantern. I mm-hmm. absolutely no idea he was there. But I found uh, the window of you know the Gascoigne house um, because it's close to where you have you know to push to not push yeah to activate the lever for the shortcut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since there was you know the the, the door to oh, I needed to open the door I took a bit more you know interest in the area because I was like okay there is a sound here because you can hear the music box playing and and I said that that's that's how I found the. The girl with with Gilbert, yeah, you can hear him cough, but everybody like in Yarnum is like making w- weird noises. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody's moaning about something in Yarnum. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, A bunch of complainers that, up there. <laughs> probably why I I ignored him. I thought it was not like, some ambient sound. <laughs> and in my second playthrough, it was like, oh, okay, there was someone here, <laughs> and. But aside from that, I think that my love for Bloodborne really developed uh, when I began to understand the story a little bit. Because at first I was really, really confused. Like I was trying to, you know, to find a, some logical sense in what was going on. But at the same time, I was very confused because they keep throwing stuff at you. Like there is, you know, first you have the this kind of intimate uh, uh, story with you know the family so you have you know father Gascoigne, viola and the girls which of course ends in tragedy but it's a story that you know it c- kind of closes there except if you i mean if we are not considering Hendrik that i have completely missed on, on my play- first playthrough sure. <laughs> but, but aside from that i mean even if you include Hendrik in the in the picture it, it's still a story that ends there and doesn't go anywhere um Except, I mean, I think it's it's really great because it sets the mood. Like, you are not going to save anybody. <laughs> that's, the message, that's the message that that the quest sends to the player. But aside from that, it doesn't really add something to the main plot. And so after that, you know, you move um, onto Old Yarnam, and there is Jura, and then I died so many times because of Jura. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, the blood starved beast. I died even more times to that. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's a tough fight, especially if you're not um, familiar with Souls games. And yeah, like, it, it was actually my my very first big wall. Did you figure out like to use uh, like the the Molotov cocktails or whatever to try to light them on fire? Like, did any of that stuff? Did, like, were you using consumables and like using all that stuff from a mechanical point of view? Yes, I did, and that's thing. Uh, that's why I believe I was. Um, able to kill both Gascoigne and the Cleric Beast with, uh, you know, a certain ease. I mean, they, they, those were not very hard fights for me. 
And I, I was surprised by that because this friend, the one that you know, recommended, recommended, recommended Bloodborne to me, he was like, hi, you are going to die so many times. <laughs> With the first boss, he thought I, w- I was going to get stuck at Guy's Coin. But I, actually, you know, I, it took me only four or five, or five tries, which I don't think is, uh, you know, very, uh, very big amount of tries for someone that has never played. No, no, that's that's really good. Yeah, that's that's. But, <laughs> but at the same time, I absolutely killed it with Molotov cocktails. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's that's what you're supposed to do. So that works out. Yeah, I think so, and. So yeah, um, and I did the same with um, Bloodstar Beast, but the, but uh, its move set move set was way more unpredictable than Gas Point or the Cleric Beast. So <laughs> uh, that that was the very one of the biggest walls I encountered in the main game. The other one was Ludwig in the DLC. <laughs> I I love that fight so much. I don't know, like the 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 core of that Ludwig fight is when he reveals that he has the Moonlight Blade, which is. Uh, kind of a, a standard sword that's been in all of the Dark Souls games and then also the, the Armored Core games that From Software has made. Did that have a, a huge impact on you when he revealed that, pulled out the sword and started talking to it? Like, that was such a huge moment for me playing Bloodborne that I, I'm curious how you felt about it without having the context of the previous Souls games. Yeah, of course, I mean, I didn't get the reference. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was really, really interested in how they constructed the Ludwig fight. I personally think that his and Mikolash are two of the most lore-heavy um, fights from you know the way in which they are constructed. Because you get the introduct the intro cinematic, then there is you know the fight or at least a phase of the fight. In Mikolash's case, there is also you know the the dialogue. While in Ludwig, you have another cutscene that adds some more to the, to the character, to the story. I mean, when Ludwig uh, sw- switches from phase one to phase two, even if you don't know about the Moonlight Sword like I did not, <laughs> um, you still have you know, the sense that you are fighting someone who is regaining his sanity mm-hmm. in a sort of way. And I think that's really, really clever. And I am amazed by how much they are a- they were able they are <laughs> they are able to make his model look different only because of how his posture is and i mean i, I don't know if i was able to explain myself no no because- perfectly yeah you're, you're you're fine like the way that he stands up straight and then all of a sudden you're you're clearly fighting something with more intelligence than the thing that you were fighting before you you realize i mean his entire attack style changes there's no more of these crazy animalistic you know screams he's he's kind of talking to you and he's using actual like what a how a human would use a sword and not just lunging at you or it's so it's 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 very um i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but it's 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 very it's it's almost kind of mind-blowing that they were able to do that with the same boss especially a boss that looks like a half horse half man creature (laughs) that they were able to give that some dignity is just you know that's that's kind of why you come to from software games is for that quiet dignity that Miyazaki speaks of so much in interviews and man they just killed it with that fight I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, I do agree, and there is something that I actually liked in many. I mean, many of my favorite boss fights from the series, not just Bloodborne, are those in which you can see a bit of the humanity of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I really like. I mean, from Dark Souls Three, I really like the Twin Princess for this reason because I mean. Uh, all the other Lords of Cinders, except perhaps for Yorm, you know, are those 
characters that weren't really appealing to me. Even the Abyss Watchers that a lot of people like. I was like, mm. but with the Twin Princess, I, I got, you know, a bit, a bit emotional because you can see that the bond that is between them. And again, there is dialogue. I, I like dialogue, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they use, a, they put a lot of care in the, in the words that they use for, for the dialogue. Like, every speak with, 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 with care. And uh, not, not just during the boss fight, in, in all the, because they have so little dialogue. I mean, there is like, seven, uh, at times it's five minutes per character, at times it's even less. Mm-hmm. And, and yet they are still able to convey so much emotion and uh, to kind of, you know, um, summon somehow into your head these very powerful I- images. Uh, not only, you know, with the boss itself, but also the, the, the words that they say. I mean, Ludwig, I think that everyone was like, oh, look at it, it's so cute at some point. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not not in, a, um, you know, in a mocking way, but you get that this, this was someone who once had, you know, was a prideful hunter. Um, and you can see how, how I, I, I don't have the word. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Os- um, Os- Osiris is the same way in Dark Souls 3 for me. Um, yeah. When he, you know, when he makes that turn, when you, you know, quote unquote, killed the baby that he's holding or that he thinks he's holding or however you want to interpret that. And he becomes more animalistic. I think doing the opposite of that Ludwig turn, right? Yeah, yeah. Like going from the more human into the more animalistic style. Whenever a boss in a Souls game is talking to you, I am giddy. Like, I just get so excited. <laughs> like, those are the most, those are the best bosses to me for some reason. Yeah, because it doesn't happen so frequently. Mm-hmm. And which I think is a very is a is a big shame. At the same time, you know, they gave more power to those and, and more impact to those characters that actually talk. <laughs> but um, at the same time, I wish that more of them had, you know, this um, at least that the player could have some more uh, options to interact with them. Even perhaps um, going back to Ludwig. Another thing that I really like is that you can talk to his seward seward head. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kill them which is something that i don't think you can do with any other boss like they are dead once you kill them yeah there's not many i'm trying to think if there's any other bosses in the souls games that do that and i don't think that there are because most of them just completely disappear once you kill them like there is no interaction with them after the yeah, fact exactly. which i think is you know uh, is a shame because you could have you know some more wisdom <laughs> or at least some more understanding of some characters and i don't know yeah, the only thing that I'm coming up with is, um, you know, after I don't have you played the DLC for Dark Souls One, the Artoria stuff. Yes. So after you beat Manus, you get some some new dialogue with Dusk, but that's really about it. Like that's I think that's the oh, only yeah. other example that really you can really come up with. Yes, and um, but again, my real i mean the moment in which i really understand that blood one was like the game not only of the year <laughs> for me but one of my favorite game was, games of all time was when i actually fought nicolas <laughs> i i really like nicolas not because the fight is very you know very fun it, it's not <laughs> it's kind of it's disorienting and uh, you know in New Game Plus and Plus Plus and etc., it becomes really, really annoying because he can one-shot one shot you with basically anything, no matter what gear you are wearing and stuff. Oh, that call but, from beyond is so annoying. I, I, hate, I hate when he casts that stuff. 
and that's why everybody teases him with poison knives. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but aside from that, I really liked um, how they presented um, the boss fight, and I really liked the character as a concept because Mikolaj to me is the the point. In, in Bloodborne, in which they really managed to capture the Lovecraft kind of feeling. I mean, the the same uh, atmosphere and the same kind of madness that you get into some of his stories. And even the fact that he, that Nicholas is not a hunter, but he's a, a scholar. Most of Lovecraft's protagonists are students, are scientists, are not, you know, men of action. Mm-hmm. And, not heroes. That's your typical heroes yeah, that are in literature. Heroes. Actually, most of them are anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. What um describe to me kind of how you uh, found this relationship with the lore of Bloodborne? Are you when you're playing through this game for the first time? Are you reading the item descriptions and piecing these stories together yourself? Are you do you have friends that were into the game that was kind of pointing you along the correct route, or were you looking up uh, you know the millions of lore videos and like you know all the lore posts on Reddit? Like, how were you kind of exploring this game for the first time? I was reading the item descriptions, and at the, at the same time, I was watching some videos. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've already spoiled the ending for myself. <laughs> I told you, I, I, I mean, I didn't want to buy the PS4 now. I mean, I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy the PS4 someday. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that kind of, you know, convinced me to do so. And But for uh, some months, I was like, no, I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> and so I, I can watch some videos in the meantime, uh, with, you know, with the idea that I wasn't going to play it soon. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have to admit that I spoiled something for myself. But even, with, even if I already knew something, it, it's still pretty confusing. I mean, the reason why there are so many lore videos out, out there and why, I mean, I, to this day, I'm still doing, you know, some kind of theories and stuff on my blog is because nobody really knows what happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we have some, you know, there are some points in which we all agree, basically, um, and others that, yeah, it, it's all about interpretation, really. And, um, That's one of the reasons that these games work so well for, I think, for such a large amount of people is that you can bring your own bring your own story to it in a lot of different ways. Like it, it provides you a framework and there's definitely things that you can say, yes, the game says that this happened, but around that there's so many murky areas. You can kind of invent your own story, which as you're playing through the game, if you're doing that, I think makes that game more personal for you. Like just like Bioware tries to do with the mass effect games, right? Like when I played mass effect two, the story of that shepherd became my story because of the options that the game gives me. And bloodborne and dark souls does that as well with the, just leaving stuff out and letting you have to come up with your own interpretation for it. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that the big difference between how, you know, Bioware games work and uh, not just Bioware, but let's say standard RPGs and the Souls games is like that when I finished the Mass Effect trilogy, it was finished. I had no lingering questions. I mean, yes, some questions, but... It was not like there was a very big mystery that wasn't so unresolved. And for instance, even the characters, the, char- the, char- the characters in Mass Effect, you really get to know them, especially, you know, the, your crew members. And I mean, it's not like after three games, I don't know who Garrus, Garrus is, or I mean, what kind of Turian he is. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
while in, in Bloodborne and Dark Souls, some of the characters that you meet even multiple times, like for, let's say, to, you know, to remain in Bloodborne territory, let's call, let's say, Aileen. Aileen is not a character like a Bioware character, of course, because she doesn't have that level of that the same length of you know, dialogue, the same, <laughs> like, Bioware characters are five, six hours, each character of dialogue, only of dialogue, dialogue alone. And so even if you like a character, I mean, everybody thinks that Aileen is badass and all, but we don't know where she's from. We don't know if she has family. We don't know exactly what she's doing, except, you know, killing other hunters. <laughs> we does don't that, know. Uh, does that so, make you like Aileen more or less, not knowing that information? I think it depends, because it depends how much you decide to kind of dwell into the character, because you get some, you know, some superficial knowledge of them. And some characters, I am absolutely, you know, um, not interested in them. I absolutely don't care. Like, I, I tried, I swear, even, you know, some fan favorites. Um, for instance, I, I'm going to say uh, a blasphemous thing, but like, I don't care about Solaire at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, is a character, yeah, he's funny. And I get that, like, you know, the, depending on how his quest and is kind of said, but still he's not, you know, the kind of character that I like to, to explore. So it's not like I'm going to, you know, to think about, oh, I wonder, well, like, how, how his life was, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, while with Aileen, for instance, I, I'm more, you know, uh, tempted to speculate and try to get a sense because I like the character more. And <clears throat> so I think it really depends. What do you think is your, uh, your, your favorite either story or character from, from the series? Out of curiosity. From the, from the series, it's a tie. I have to say between Prince Lorian, Mikolash, and German. Okay. Uh, because I really like the three of them. And with Lorian, they, they added something with the last DLC, with the Ring City. Uh, not that much. And, and again, in this case, Lorian doesn't have dialogue at all. Sure. So, uh, I mean, this, this to show you that it's not the dialogue that really you know, makes a character interesting is all the, you know, the whole situation around them. Um, but yeah, I think it's a tie between the three, and I like them all for, a, for different reasons. The reason why I like Mikolaj so much is because, again, he reminds me of all the Lovecraft tropes. And because I think that the, the scholars, from a story point of view, so him, uh, Lawrence, uh, Willem, they are way more interesting than the hunters. <laughs> in fact, in my first playthrough, I was you know, a bit let down by the fact that I was kind of, you know, forced to play hunter because I really didn't care about the hunters a, lo a lot. And uh, they, they felt like, you know, the hired guns of the situation. Mm -hmm. And... and also, people that really don't did, did not understand what was going on, and they were just, yeah, let's go with the flow, let's kill things. <laughs> the, um, the the very beginning of the game basically tells you that too. Like when you sign yeah, that contract, right. it's basically like go hunt monsters, and you're probably not even going to know why you're doing it. And uh, that, that's it's really interesting. I've I've kind of wanted for a while a to, for friend software to make a game that has no combat. Like as much as I love the combat. I wonder what they could what they could do with a game and a and a storytelling 
sense a point of view from a narrative point of view if they got rid of all of the mechanics of it and like made you know a quote-unquote walking simulator that you could explore a whole world or explore all these levels and talk to these people and get kind of an idea from it but not have to fight everything every 20 minutes yeah. right some kind of pacifist route <laughs> exactly me. yeah i actually tried a pacifist build for dark souls one and it did not work out <laughs> That could actually be interesting because they put so much detail, not only in the characters and in the lore, but also in the environment. It's really, really interesting to look around and see all, all the little details. I mean, I made a post a long time ago um, after I was ba basically doing some parkour actions <laughs> in the Hold Hunters DLC. And um, I found that there is like um, bas bas barely. Well, what's the word? Is Ah, bus relief, I think is. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. And behind the chair that is on the altar where Lawrence's human skull is. And that relief is the same statue that you find in Hemwick's Charnel Lane. Um, the one, basically, the La Pieta uh, statue. Uh, which is again the same on which Lawrence's game, I mean, Lawrence as a boss is placed on in the nightmare. So they actually had this uh, image repeated three times in three different places. And one of these places was completely hidden. You could not see unless you jumped on the altar when the elevator was going up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I got you. <laughs> It, it was super obscure, and I was like, okay, so they actually put the chair there to cover this thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and it felt like they were actually reusing, you know, the assets of the chair just to cover this thing. It was, was really weird, but at the same time, you know, there is so much to look at in this game that uh, I absolutely agree with you. It would be really interesting to have some sort of investigation kind of game. Exactly, yeah. Just something to kind of walk through that I, I not feel like I'm going to get attacked by some sort of zombie or hollow or <laughs> werewolf. <laughs> I have a, uh, there was a guest on the show that um, has since become a friend, a woman by the name of Fiona, who's from Australia. And um, she went through a lot of Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3, pulling a lot of the art that they use for the walls and trying to do kind of artistic studies on it because that was kind of her field. And uh, it was just fascinating, the stuff that she was coming up with. Like she found all of these references and historical documents that shows that they put a whole lot of thought into all of the stuff that they use. And it just, it, it kills me sometimes because I know like for a majority of the people that play the game, it's just, you know, they're killing stuff and then they're just running through it. Like it's, there's only, there's very few people out there that I feel like stop and kind of look around and really take in the world that they've built. And which is disappointing. Like I'm sure it, like if you were the guy that spent 20 hours making that bass relief <laughs> like, and you, you want people to see it, right? Like you want people to see that, but yeah, yeah, exactly. the, game, the game kind of pressures you into moving past it. And I think that the reason why they kind of, you know, achieve the, the I mean, the, the, in, way, uh, sorry, in which they actually manage to capture the attention of the audience like this is because they tell you so, they tell us so little. <laughs> and so we are kind of, we are so desperate to find answers <laughs> that we just stop there and start looking at the sculpture, at the, the statue and everything. <laughs> and, and we are like waiting, you know, for some enlightenment coming <laughs> coming to us. and it's, it's never going to come I absolutely i mean i think that the the ring city kind of kind of proved that we are not we are not going to have all the answers any soon <laughs> probably never how long did it take you uh because you you uh the way that you and i met is um 
uh, I mean, obviously this is the first time we met, but uh, you, you run a Tumblr blog that does, uh, where you write your own lore theories for Bloodborne. What, <laughs> how long did it take you between playing the game for the first time and to, to between playing the game for the first time and writing your, your own lore articles? And what was the kind of catalyst for that? What caused you to start writing these stories? Oh, that's a good question because I, I think I already finished the game. No, actually I hadn't. I was still playing the game when I created the blog. But the blog was, uh, I remember this because I literally wrote at some point that I had finished it. So, <laughs> And uh, the, the blog originally was going to be like some sort of art blog, just, you know, for some of my illustrations, because I'm, I am a professional illustrator. And I, I do, I mean, that, that's, that's how I pay the bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I was really interested, intrigued by, you know, the atmosphere of Bloodborne, the aesthetic, how they call it on Tumblr. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. It's it's, a, it's such a fa- fancy word. I don't know. It's probably because I'm not I'm not English, and so I have all English words sound sounds fancy to me. <laughs> and so my intention was only to have you know this place to collect all the illustrations that I was going to do um, about Bloodborne because I had you know I was doing so many uh, illustrations of my hunter and. And many of the characters. I had a bunch of Mikolash stuff back in the day. <laughs> um, and the first theories, I think, were about Lauren. Um, because, again, he's one of the characters that we know very little about. Like, he has two lines of dialogue. <laughs> and he's never <laughs> seen again until the DLC. And, again, he, even there, you get no answers except that he's a cleric beast and that, he, that he's on fire. Sure. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of speculation at the time, you know, about why is he on fire? Is really, you know, just a reused uh, asset like the Riskin, the cleric beast, or there is some, you know, some actual big meaning behind it? I don't think it is. I think it's just, you know, <laughs> just reused. <laughs> but aside from that, and th- that conversation started with, I don't even remember with whom, actually. <laughs> It was like, you know, just discussing this. And at some point, I, I was like, okay, let's do some research on this. <laughs> I think it was like, let me say, like, a few months after I finished the game, something like that. So it was kind of, you know, and I was still playing it because I, I immediately went on New Game Plus. And so I was replaying the game and probably understanding it a, a little bit better. Uh, yeah, that's it. And... Um, the Soulsborne community is is pretty significant on Tumblr. I've, I've spent a lot of time on Tumblr with my old PvP hate mail blog and um, also my own personal Tumblr, which was pretty much Dark Souls all the time during, when I was actually keeping up with it. Um, did it find a good reception? Like, were, did you start meeting people that had that shared similar stories with you? Um, I'm just kind of curious how you interacted with the community when you started writing all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say that the reception of my of my theories was. I mean, very good and also, you know, better than I expected because, I mean, I always, um, I'm, I mean, because it, English is not my first language, so I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm not sure if I was able to explain myself well, uh, if I missed something because of the language, like we had, you know, entire discussions about the translation of the game, <laughs> played the game in Italian, so many of the names I could not, you know, just on the top of my head, I could not which was which, like the items and stuff like that, because of course the names are very different. Not all of them, but <clears throat> and but yeah, basically I think I try, sorry, I try to keep my 
theories, if we want to call them, my lore theories, separated from, you know, the fun fiction stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that there is a, a very big difference between, you know, just looking at the facts. So just looking at the... Um, how can I say this? At the item descriptions and taking those item descriptions as absolute truth and saying something like, I think Lawrence was the scholar that betrayed the Bergenwort and went to Caners and brought the, the blood the blood to the bio blood. Um, because there is no proof for that. But it's a safe assumption and it's something that I absolutely I kinda agree. I mean that's my you know my head canon. But I don't think that you can build a theory on that because it takes a lot of assumptions. Uh, I can't say that word before, assumptions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so when, when I do, you know, the lore stuff, just the pure lore stuff, the reception is very good, actually. Because, I mean, I, that, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to do things that um, if you have, you know, something to, like, to want to criticize, I want... Uh, the person that criticized the theory to give me proof, proofs that is not true. Because if I, I try always to, to use, you know, the evidence, and if someone has, you know, counter evidence, then I say, okay, you're right. If uh, the, um, the criticism is just, you know, uh, I don't think it's like that, but the item description say that it's like that, that then I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you want you want you want them to look at the actual game and say no 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 this is what you need to do um, like this this is this is where this information is coming from and this is I want to create theories based on everything that we see from the game itself not necessarily speculation. Again, it depends from theory to theory to theory. Some some stories like some parts of the game I think that cannot be discussed without some sort of you know projection like you need to assume that some things are in a certain way or you are not going anywhere because like uh, the same uh, situation can have you know 10 different 10 different um <clears throat> endings like the same scene can end in like like let, let me make an let me make an example with that it, it, because if we don't if i don't do that it's like you know talking about nothing okay and um, when we look at gas point quest to the the daughter's quest you can say that Gascoigne killed his wife or that he found her dead because there is no proof for either of the of these possibilities there is no way to know which one is true you can say that yes he went mad and he killed her or he found the other huntsman killing killing her or they they had already killed her and when he saw her body he went mad in that in this case i i mean i don't feel like there is a definitive answer in this case but if an item description of whatever item i don't know says that something is in a certain way um at that point i am like okay why are we discussing about this so yeah, that, that's basically my my point about some of the criticism, and I have to say that I haven't got so much of this sort of criticism mm-hmm. in uh, as far as the theories are are concerning are concerned, because I actually tried you know to make them as reasonable as possible, and but at the same time, man, many of the people that like my my blog, and I am surprised by how many they actually how many they are. <laughs> I want to thank them all because they are so nice. 
Um, some of them just want to uh, to know my interpretation of the story because I have um, like my own timeline that has a lot of assumptions. I can't say that word. I, I'm terrible. <laughs> that <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. I, I, <laughs> that takes a lot of takes for granted, and but this is that's not you know what I consider canon. That my fan fiction universe <laughs> and if those people are interested in that and many are and I, i'm glad and surprised and flattered <laughs> but if they are asking about that i can you know go wild and say yeah that this happens and then this happens because i say so <laughs> and it's just you know saying uh, it's like telling stories to each other at that point it's not it's not speculation it's not lore anymore mm -hmm. it's just you know role play is just uh, writing something because it is something that we like and sometimes i think that the two things get a bit blurred and i try not to do that but it's a bit you know it's kind of difficult to avoid at times well there's the, the games they give you uh, some things but they leave out so much that it's hard to create a actual lore theory that's based 100% in fact without jumping off the cliff of assumption every once in a while like sometimes you just have to do that it's it, you made yeah, an yeah. interest you made an interesting point just now that uh, you know people that follow your blog are really um like a, a lot of times they want to hear what you have to say and I, I've, I've seen that like I, I feel like that's the reason that the body videos of the world are very popular or the Richard Pillbeams, the jerks on frontier guy is very popular <laughs> because they, they are able to present a timeline that makes sense and really resonates with people. So people want to hear that person explain even more of the game, even if it's not based 100% concrete on facts, even if it's, you know, an assumption, like if you're having to pull some pieces together, that's like, to me, that's the best kind of lore theories are the ones that really get you excited about the game. And it's not, it's, and that's one of the reasons I feel like people criticize Dark Souls 3 because you have to go so far to right or left field in order to start pulling a bunch of those pieces together. Not to dog on, on Dark Souls 3 at all because it does some things very, very right. Just kind of thinking about why Bloodborne, for me personally, Bloodborne and Dark Souls 1 works so well in a, from, the, from a lore perspective, but some of the other games fall short. No, I understand. I think that Bloodborne from, I mean, I played only one, I mean, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 3, I still have to play two. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for a deal on the PS, uh, the PS Store. Sure. <laughs> uh, and I'm cu currently playing Demon Souls uh, because one of my followers actually sent me a copy. <laughs> Thank oh, you. nice. Yeah, I mean, I did a commission for them, but mm -hmm. still, it was, you know, it was, you know, a nicer... Uh, payment than you know just getting the cold money <laughs> sure yeah oh, yeah yeah I, 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 you know i don't i don't know how much work how much time and effort you put into your art but i'm sure it's a lot so getting a video game in exchange that can give you 20 30 40 hours worth of entertainment is you know that's pretty good <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and i absolutely like the idea i was like no I, I i will only accept commission i mean payment in souls instead of money <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's good uh, <laughs> Okay, and aside from that, um, so, but about, among these games that I played and that Demon's Souls that I'm still playing, um, I think that Bloodborne is the more cohesive because mm -hmm. uh, when they added the DLC, I found that they actually explained so many things. I like, many people say that uh, the Old Hunters is very confusing, but I don't really think it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> 
because so many things are, you know, are explained, at least to me. And what I really liked about it is that they did not add anything that we haven't heard before. Like um, the research hall is a structure that is located inside the Astor Clock Tower that we can see in the main game. So it's not a completely different location. Um, we are just saying, seeing, you know, the past of that part, but it's still a tangible building in Yarnum. So we can, you know, uh, point out where it is in modern day Yarnum, uh, current day Yarnum. Mm -hmm. And and the the factions that you know that did all the experiments there is the choir, and we already knew something about the choir. So they were just expanding on something that we already knew, and instead of you know throwing stuff like the Millwood Knights. <laughs> that came out of nowhere and nobody really cared and they <laughs> go nowhere and they're just you know enemies in the, in the painted world of Ariando and yeah <laughs> so that that's the reason why I find uh, Bloodborne to be very cohesive and I have to say that the old hunters is also what really made me appreciate appreciate the hunters as a faction because as i told you before i was like eh, i want to be a scholar in this game <laughs> and but i really like i really understood the hunters a little bit more because of ludwig um because of maria and because of you know the fishing hamlet which is basically the first thing of you know the bloodborne world and it was also the the moment in which i really really get uh, a bit in love with German <laughs> in my in my twisted way and uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely you know kind of um see I, I that was the, the the very first time that I actually saw the guy because I mean he was there since the beginning but I could care less yeah and uh, he, he was kind of annoying he was you know he is he's created so that he's supposed to be uncomfortable to make you uncomfortable <laughs> and uh, now that you know when you have the full picture so when you know about maria you know about everything now i see the, the genius behind uh, how they wrote him and how they uh, told his story and i have to say that that really had not just to you know my appreciation for the character which again is one of my favorites inside uh, <clears throat> along with Mikolash. But uh, it also made me appreciate all the hunters by reflection, because I kind of, you know, uh, understood in my head at least uh, what it meant actually to, to be a hunter. Because you see Ludwig and you see how honorable and how, you know, dedicated to his cause is what he was. And then you see his fall. And the same thing kind of happens with German and Maria. So you, I, I, that was the first time that I finally see them. Uh, saw them as people instead of, you know, just these annoying characters that were there. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, and then the, my blog became, you know, um, a terrible place that everybody hates because I should. <laughs> but, so know, I, that, that's a, I want to get into that, that a little bit because uh, you, you, and oh, I, you and I wanted, uh, emailed a little bit after um, episode <laughs> 69 came out. Um, and for, for listeners out there who don't remember, episode 69 was um, a friend of mine and some of her friends came on to talk about shipping, uh, mostly about Lady Maria, uh, because they were all, they're all, you know, lesbians. So they were all really, really into Lady Maria. Um, and the subject yep. of a German, and I'm sorry. 
I have a lot of lesbian friends that are into it. Yeah, it seems to be it I seems have, to be a common thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but on that podcast, there was a moment where someone talked about German and Maria fa- uh, fan fiction and like the entire podcast went, ah, uh, or whatever. And, uh, and you emailed me and you said, you know, I'll I write that stuff and I, I want to talk about it. So I want to hear, I want to hear your side of the, of the, of this shipping world, so to speak. So first of all, I, I remember because yeah, of course you mentioned that we, we, we had an exchange of emails of, after that. And I want to say that I, I found that the word that they used, uh, you know, to describe those people that unironically mm-hmm. ship German and Maria, I want to, you know, uh, put some kind of underline the unironically part. Okay. Because I am a very, um, I don't know what to say, I'm a very uh, light person. Is something a, it does, I mean, can, is an expression that he, it makes sense in English. I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, um, I think I take very little, very few things seriously. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that expression works think, then. Yeah. But, and even when I do, uh, for instance, there are some characters or some stories, like some books, some movies that I really, really like and that I'm really passionate about. But at the same time, ex- since I am so into those characters, into those stories, I, I love to make fun of them. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I can see it, that. You know, it, it's a weird uh, mental process, but it works for me. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that, that's kind of my approach to this, uh, you know, this ship too. Because, I mean, most people haven't read my fanfiction, my stuff, because it's in Italian. Mm-hmm. And I have translated some bits uh, here and there, but, you know, uh, those are actually the serious bits because I, I actually had, you know, in this story that I'm writing... Uh, just for fun again it's not like something that i think it's canon and everybody should think like i do and mm-hmm. <laughs> something that i'm doing you know just for fun with with a couple of friends because we are basically creating this story together even even if i am the one that actually writes it but uh, like i have to write a scene and i ask them okay what we what would happen here <laughs> and so it's like a collective effort in a sense and there is a lot of shit post in that story. Like it, it's very, it's very stupid, and that's what, and that's what the reason why I am so surprised that people get mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, when, when I look at it, I'm like, okay, but it's like a super stupid romantic comedy. <laughs> okay, but aside from that, the the reason why I like these shit better than others. And the reason why, I'm <clears throat> oh, first of all, I want to say that I am not that much into shipping as other people are. Okay. <laughs> Just in general, for even for other games or other in you know, a movie series that I like, is I'm not one of those people that really, really gets passionate about the ships that draws a lot, you know, a fan fiction of fan art. And this is kind of the exception, and there is a reason for this, and the reason is that. Uh, it is it kind of hit all the right uh, um, spots for me like it's something that reminds me of so many other stories and movies and characters that I really like but in a in a different setting and with some improvements <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know, I know it, it's uh, it, it's kind of difficult to explain but 
Uh, let, let me first of all I want to say that the reason why I like them together kind of is because I find the even the canon story you know the one in which um, Maria basically is unaware of um, of Maria in also of German's interests or mania or obsession whatever you want to call it uh, even that that situation alone is really interesting and in my opinion it's really fitting for the theme of the game, for the tone of the game. Because we have a, a, a game that is Victorian, that is Gothic, and that takes inspiration from many things like, not just, you know, Dracula, not just Lovecraft, but, you know, the idea of uh, the evolution and de-evolution of humanity. So the point, uh, some item descriptions are like about how the hunters have to kind of hide their lack blood and they are they try like to look sharp you know well dressed and everything uh, but they are actually even worse than the beast that they hunt so it's kind of you know a jekyll and Hyde sort of situation in which you have a facade and then you have to still act you know properly just proper in front of other people because you know the church kind of said that and there is also the fact that amelia in uh, her prayer before the boss fight, she reminds us, and, and she's not just the, the only character that does it, Nicholas kind of does it too, about the frailty of man and the beastly idiocy and stuff. So if we have a character that is hiding something, that is suppressing something, um, can call it as bestial, because I mean, sexual attraction is like that at times. Mm-hmm. I, I think that really fits with the story and with the theme. Just like um, they had, you know, uh, Ariana and Adela that are, you know, the archetypes of the female archetypes. So you have the prostitute and the nun. So the saint, the pure, the virgin, and the vicious, vicious woman, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And they took two archetypes and they reversed them. Because you have basically Ariana, which is, you know, the actual innocent one and the victim because you know she gets impregnated by <laughs> who knows i mean odon perhaps odon that guy and he's still by one of the gods that the the people in yarnum worship so it's kind of you know um, immaculate conception but not uh, towards a virgin but towards a prostitute and the virgin situation the nun is instead this very wicked woman who is jealous of the prostitutes. So everything in Bloodborne is subverted. Even if we talk, we talk back, I mean, if we go back to Lovecraft, in Lovecraft, the great ones, actually the old ones in Lovecraft, are the monsters. While Bloodborne portrays uh, the hunters, the humans, the scholars as the bad guys. So a lot of things are reversed in, um, in Bloodborne. And all these tropes that you have from Gothic literature, which is one of my biggest passions. I absolutely love gothic literature, gothic romance, and stuff like that, uh, are completely warped in Bloodborne. And this is something that I, I think many people miss. And it's, it's kind of, I mean, impossible to get unless you have this sort of knowledge. And for instance, um, Kainer as, as, a, as a region, as an area, is heavily inspired by the movie. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which oh, yeah. I think was the, the director. The director, I think, was Francis Ford Coppola. And that movie alone 
as a very is even if you know there is the Bram Stokers <laughs> in the title, is very very different from um, the book. And again, they added a lot of sexual things themes in the story because I mean they are not in the original book. Absolutely, I mean the original book is an epistolary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean there are some you know hints are, uh, of things that happen, but. Um, yeah, so I think that the, the whole situation of German and Maria, even in canon, so in the situation in which he, she is unaware of whatever he, his, intentions are, his intentions are, um, it's really fitting with the theme of the game, <laughs> basically. And so that was what interested me. And, uh, and at the same time, uh, as I told you, they, they changed a lot of things. So instead of having, you know, the... Um, in Gothic romance, the protagonist, the female protagonist, is usually the uh, naive girl, the younger girl, but she's naive, she's pure, she doesn't know anything about the world. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she, she usually falls prey, you know, to the older guy who's also, you know, um, or a monster at times, like kind of in Phantom of the Opera. So there is a, the element of deception. Or um, just to, you know, to mention another another movie that perhaps many, many people have seen the last years, like in Crimson Peak, the, the movie direct, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, with Tom Hiddleston. Um, even the character of Thomas, Thomas Sharp, yes, he falls in love with her at the end, but the original plan, you know, was to lure her to, the, to Crimson Peak, to the house, and then to kill her. So there is also, you know, this, this element of deception, this element of... Uh, you know, kind of taking the, the naive girl away from something, and which is uh, a kind of, of situation that I don't think applies to German and Maria in any way, because instead of having, you know, the naive girl, you have basically the daughter of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what... That's what uh, cracked me up about uh, the criticism that, I mean, the, this ship kind of gets, because I never, and I repeat, never seen anyone uh, depicting Maria as, you know, the weak one, the one that is, you know, uh, manipulated in any way, because she is such a badass. We can see that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. everybody can see that. And... Uh, and so in my case, I know when I write some of the, of the chapters, it's more, you know, about the internal kind of struggle of German in trying you know, to be the proper guy and, not, and uh, you know, uh, uh, adhering to the, the social norms of the Victorian times than, than anything else, basically. And Maria is a very, you know, I mean, at least in my interpretation of the story, she's a very, very strong character. And... Yeah, even if at some point, I mean, in my, like, flight, I don't know how to call it, I can call that, the uh, madness that sprouted from this, this stupid fan fiction, um, there is even, I made even a little, little comic about this scene. Basically, there is a point in which Maria is not unaware anymore, and her reaction is very chill, like, she's a, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and not again, not because you are, I mean, I am describing a character that is, 
um, subservient, but because she kind of understood the reason why he was hiding and stuff like that, and she and she still remi- uh, admires the guy because she was a good teacher to her. And uh, again, <laughs> that's basically my my reasoning. It, it really comes from from my love for the trope, you know, from the gothic romance trope, which is reversed in Bloodborne because you have the very scary character, which is Maria. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that's that gives a whole different context to. <laughs> I know, because <laughs> I think in um, especially in my head, I was thinking exactly what you what you what you just argued against, which was that it was cr- taking that character that's extremely powerful and extremely um, capable and reducing her down to something that that she's not. So it's it's nice to know, it's nice to hear the other side of that. I'm glad I'm glad I got the opportunity to do this. And and that's also the reason why I mean, and this is not something that I say because I ship them. And again, mm-hmm. when I that I ship them, I ship them only in my fan fiction universe, which yeah. is not the canon universe. I want to point this out because people try to tend to think that I like I want this to be canon. That that's not true. <laughs> um, it's just you know a fantasy that I'm enjoying with these friends of mine that they, they like it too. And uh, but uh, that's kind of the, the same reason, you know, the reducing the ca- a powerful character into a subservient character is one of the most frequent explanation that I that I hear when I go on Reddit and someone asks, uh, you know, what, what was the deal with German and Maria and the doll? And many people say, say, and I agree, that the reason why German is so dismissive and he feels, you know, yeah, just go and take the doll, I don't care, is because the doll is not Maria. I mean, she is very different from Maria. And that's the reason why, according to me and others, <laughs> Um, is the reason why he doesn't care. Well, Sarah, I want to I want to wrap us up because we're right at an hour. Yeah, um, an hour. Yeah, it goes so fast, right? <laughs> uh, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to talk about on, as far as Dark Souls or Bloodborne or, or anything? Let me think. I don't know. Uh, should I buy Dark Souls too? <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's it's a different kind of storytelling, and I, I think you might have an appreciation for that. The uh, the mechanics are, for my own personal taste, leave something to be desired. But uh, the way that it tells stories about its characters are more of kind of a short story based. And then uh, if you play through all of the DLC, it's about uh, three queens, and which are the daughters of Manus. I guess spoilers, but you probably already knew that. Um, yeah, yeah, I already. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the way that those stories are, t- are told, like the... the the way that those fractures of humanity end, ends up coming into a, a world thousands of years later, I think is very interesting. So it's just a very long game and it's, it's not as pretty or as um, I think as smooth as the other games. So it gets, it gets a lot of hate, uh, but I like it. Like it's, it's, it's a great game. I think everybody should play it because it's, it's more souls games. Like it's even a bad souls game is usually better than a good other kind of game. Right. So <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, those, are my, those are my thoughts exactly about, you know, the, allegedly i mean the upcoming maybe bloodborne 2 because some people don't want it i'm i'm just like bring it on (laughs) (laughs) i want i want more and more not necessarily of that specific world like i don't ever need to go back to yarnum again but i just want them to tell more crazy weird stories about dead gods and you know i don't know just weird bloodlust people like i just like all of that stuff just seems fascinating to me like i don't again i don't need to go back to yarnum i don't need to hear about 
the Thumerian whatever. Like, I don't need to hear any of that. I just want more kind of in the same vein, if that makes sense. Yes, I absolutely agree. Actually, some of my followers asked me what I want, you know, for Bloodborne 2. And I was like a new setting. Like, bring us to a different region, a different city, even in the countryside, because I want to see a bit, a bit of the countryside. It's always cities or, you know, swamps in, in, in Dark Souls and Bloodborne. So my, my listeners know this because I, I say it a lot because I've talked about it a lot. But um, if you haven't listened to a lot of episodes, you might have missed it. My idea for Bloodborne 2 has been for a while now to do it in the American Old West. Because uh, like imagine going into like an Old West town, finding everybody dead and finding, you know, a level five and God on the side and just everything is just messed up. And then on top of that, like just the fashion, like having dusters and cowboy hats, I think would be super cool to dress up as. So. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems kind of interesting to me. I don't know if it would work or not, but I, I like the idea. This kind of reminds me, and um, you, you may, you know, if you don't know about this, you may look, pay, I mean, take a look on the internet and might, maybe you f- may find this interesting. In, um, because I, I'm asking this because I don't know if you are familiar. Be, be ready for a very weird question. Okay. Are you familiar with the areas, I mean, the land in Disneyland Paris? <laughs> I am not, no. Okay, so in Disneyland Paris, differently from, you know, Orlando or California, whatever the other parks are, um, the Haunted Mansion and Big Thunder Mountain are in the same area, and they are connected. Not in the sense that you go from a ride to the other, but the stories are connected, because the house is basically the home of the owner of the mine. And uh, if you go inside the Phantom Manor, which is the name of the French Haunted Mansion, um, the story that is told in the ride is that of the mine. So it's basically a ghost town in the far west. And it's really, really cool looking. So you, you, I don't know, you could take a look on the, on the YouTube. There are so many videos. <laughs> this looks like the scariest house I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know even, why are they putting this in Disneyland? This doesn't belong in Disneyland. <laughs> this belongs in a horror world. Wow. <laughs> it kind of does. And so literally you, you see the, the saloons, you know, all the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can, like I can, the, yeah, this, this looks awesome. I, there's, oh yeah. Oh dude, there's a ride through. I'm going to watch this video later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you will find there are so many. And I'm going to put this in the show put, notes in case I forget. It popped in my mind when you say that. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you very much for uh, guesting on the podcast. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, it's this is thank this has you. been awesome. Just I can't I can't thank you enough. So uh, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? I'm going to include a, a bunch of links because I've got links to your tumblers and everything. But uh, go ahead and tell everyone what you do on the internet and where to find it. Okay, so uh, I am on DeviantArt with my art and stuff, and then you know you you will find me just by Malachia Lagasta. I know it's hard to to write down because you know, <laughs> Italian, and the, and Tumblr is uh, Bellringer Cat. And I mean, as far as the Soulsborne, my Soulsborne activity, that that's it. I have, you know, perf- other, you know, art pages and stuff like that. I have a current running comic, web comic about Lovecraft, which was published in Italy some months ago. And I'm working currently on the second volume. It's a nice introduction to, to people that have never, you know, read Lovecraft. And it's very uh, child-friendly in a way. Just like I, I told you, I can take anything seriously. Not even my favorite fighter. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, very. That that if you like what I did with the with the Lovecraft comic, you will probably understand 
what my approach to lore in general and characters and gothic stuff is. <laughs> so, thank you very much, Jeremy. Well, uh, thank you again for guesting, and I, I would highly recommend everyone that's listening go check out her art. Um, if you didn't catch the link, just go to the show notes on your podcatcher or whatever you're listening to, and you'll find all of those uh, links and everything. So go check that out. It's I, I'm, I'm actually looking at her Deviant Art page right now, and it's really really great. She has a picture of Lady Maria that is legit cool. So. <laughs> Uh, again, thank you, thank you for guesting. This has been great. Welcome. Ciao. Uh, as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. I am at JG Greer on Twitter. You can find this podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That's where we post links to the shows. We have links to all of our social media. I don't know why I keep saying we and our, like there's anybody else that works on this podcast but me. It's a very strange thing that I do. I'm sorry. Be sure to check out the Instagram at don'tgiveupskellies so you can get quick previews of all of the episodes so you know what you're getting into. Thank you, everybody, for listening and leaving iTunes reviews and sharing the show with your friends. It means a lot to me. But most importantly, remember, don't give up skeleton. And we're good. Okay. <laughs> that was really great. You did you did wonderful. Thank like that you. was that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Um Thank you for all the nice questions. Say again. <laughs> Thank you for all the nice questions. Oh no, no problem. I, mean, I really, really like to talk about this stuff, but I mean, at times my my thoughts. I am